It was about six years ago that John Jones died in the Nutty Putty Cave west of Utah Lake. I remember the story at the time, being fascinated by it and horrified by it, as, as were many people across the country. This story went national, international even. The Nutty Putty Cave became John Jones' tomb. He didn't make it out alive. It's despite the best efforts of rescuers all over the county, Utah County. And it was a very, just a, a very sad and, and awe-inspiring story. Well, now local filmmaker Isaac Halasima is filming the story. He's all, almost complete with the story of the Nutty Putty Cave and John Jones' final descent. As a matter of fact, the movie's called The Last Descent. Uh, so who is Isaac Halasima? He's a, an interesting story in and of himself, a, a kid of uh, Tongan and, uh, a, a, and Mormon descent. Uh, his mother, uh, a, a Mormon girl from, I think, Lehigh or Orem, and his father uh, from the island of Tonga. Uh, Isaac Halasima's story is interesting in and of itself, and his story about the Nutty Putty Cave, The Final Descent, which is set to premiere at uh, Larry Miller Theaters here very shortly. Um, it, it, it's a great story all the way around, how Isaac became a filmmaker, and of course the story of the Nutty Putty Cave, which he tells very distinctly and very vividly on this episode of the Let's Go Eat show. Um, we sat at the club at 50 West, and you know, unfortunately, uh, during the interview, uh, I, I took a, I had to take a little break because I had a phone call that I had just it popped up on my phone and I had an, a family emergency that I had to attend to on the phone. And it kind of distracted me for the second half of the interview. And I, I, I really hope that doesn't show in this episode of the Let's Go Eat show. I hope I was able to concentrate and focus on Isaac Halasima and the story of the Nutty Putty Cave, focus on it in a way that it deserves. It's a great story. I hope you like this episode of the Let's Go Eat show. Uh, thanks to Dylan Allred for producing. Uh, thanks to the Club at 50 West uh, for providing us a space. And um, uh, well, here it is. And by the way, uh, the Let's Go Eat show, if you like it, tell us, please send us email. Um, you, you can send us uh, comments at the Let's Go Eat show dot com. You can rate us on iTunes. We're available on Stitcher, all of that stuff. So here it is. The story of the Nutty Putty Cave, the story of the film The Last Descent and our guest, uh, Isaac Halasima. DJ for KPGR. <laughs> Uh, 88 FM. 88.1. 88.1 FM, KPGR. Yeah, we were uh, whopping 100 watts while I was there. Well, that, uh, that was my college radio station, 88.1 K, uh, KWCR at Weber State. Oh, wow. Must be the one they Maybe. make all colleges go on. The you know what? Yeah, you guys were the ones that every once in a while would slip through on our channel. That's right. Suck you it. Only, you can only get us like to our parking lot, right. so it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't very great. So, so we're not here to talk, although yeah. talk about uh, college radio. Why not? Uh, well, we could, but Let's we're do an gonna, hour on college radio. Uh, we're going to talk about. Uh, <laughs> uh, before we turn on the microphones, we've been talking a lot about Tongans <laughs> because our our guest um, is uh, Isaac Halisama. And he is uh, of Tongan ancestry. His father, Tongan. His mother, 
sweet Mormon lady from Utah? Yeah, just we're, we're from the Monsons. We're, we're Swedish. Blonde hair, blue eyed, and nothing like what I look like. But So your dad... Now, so Isaac is here, and we'll get to it. Um, Isaac is a, a, a director uh, and um, of videos, and and he's directed his first feature film ever, uh, and he's editing it right now. Do you have any idea when The Last Descent is going to come out? What I know is tonight I have to have my final graphics done. So, <laughs> so I turn it in, but I know the movies, it's going to hit theaters, the wide theaters, wider theaters i guess the first run on september 16th but but we're, we're starting the pre-screenings and all that stuff right like as soon as i give it to him so we'll we'll talk about what the last descent is uh and and isaac's career let's let's just start with isaac Halesema and his <laughs> career so uh when i found out you were making this movie the last descent mm-hmm. uh and i just heard about it this like last week and apparently it's i looked up some stuff and it's been bubbling around Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been featured last year uh, in the fall. You were featured on some local news yeah, and so yeah. forth. Um, but I saw just a little blurb that says, The Last Ascent, the story of the uh, guy, what was his name, Jonathan? John Jones. John Jones, yeah. who died in Nutty Putty Cave yeah. here in Utah. And I immediately went, oh, my God, that's I'd forgotten about that story. and But what, a, what an incredible story that was. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's perfect for a movie. Who's directing it? I look up this guy, Isaac Halasima. Well, who the hell is that? Uh, and your, the name of your company is Deep Blue Films? Yeah. Yeah, but it's just me. You know, yeah. It's, but yeah, yeah. I'm just a director, dude. You're, uh, well, so you've got a nice website there and, and uh, examples of your work. Uh, Isaac has directed videos uh, for Imagine Dragons. Mm-hmm. That would mean a lot to, to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, They're my boys. He, he's uh, directed uh, a really f- nicely done uh, series of, I guess they're, you would call them commercials, mm-hmm. for um, a company called Domo, mm-hmm. which is an online business kind of thing, but starring Alec Baldwin mm-hmm. uh, in these commercials. And they were very well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Very well directed, very well scripted, and uh, uh, everything. Well, so, so uh, how long ago did you do those? By the way, uh, we shot we shot Baldwin in January and of this year. Yeah, yeah. We uh, God, we shot all of them because we shot God, we shot everywhere because we also had Marshawn Lynch in one of them. We, oh yeah, I saw that. We had Mike Ditka in one of them. Yeah, we had. It was, it was, it was you fun. know, when Mike Dick, uh, I saw the one with Mike Dick, and he comes in yeah. uh, to this dressing room and is talking to a guy about this business, uh, you know, and I kept, but I didn't really quite recognize him at first. I'm going, mm-hmm. who is that guy? I know who that is. And it just took me, it took me a second. Oh, my God, that's Mike Ditka. He looks great. <laughs> Iron Mike Ditka. He's kind of gotten smaller. Yeah, he, but he's still a big man. Is he? Oh, you know, it's like I, I didn't know exactly what position he played when he played, but when he walked up, I'm like, tight end. Yeah, okay, mm. I get it. Was it. Did he play for the Chicago Bears yeah. as well as then coach them for all those years with uh, Jim McMahon? And, yeah, it's, uh, there was actually one of the 30 for 30s was on him. Uh, well, on the 86 Bears, and they went over his history. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's The guy's a character because he's still that guy. He's, he's really fun to talk to. Yeah, he was very entertaining in yeah. the uh, and, and it and it's he's good because in this 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 commercial this infomercial 
for the, and it's just for some damn business cloud. It's called or whatever Domo. Yeah, which I I will never use in my life. I'm sure, but but he's uh, he's in he's in this commercial, and it seems as though he's not do, reading a script at all. I mean, he's really good. Well, he, I w- I was really surprised. The one thing I did know though is he'd done that. He'd done kicking and screaming with Will Ferrell. Oh yeah, and, I didn't see it, but I do remember that. Oh, he was great in it, yeah. and, and so I was like, I was, I was prepared to have a guy that probably knew exactly what he was doing, and he he walked right in there. He knew everything he needed to say, and and you get scared of ego sometimes on people, and he was just, yeah, what do you want? How well, you must it? have been scared with ego working with Alec Baldwin because oh. he has a reputation. Now, I happen to be a person who loves Alec Baldwin. Oh, I love Alec. I Baldwin. think he, I think he's a great actor. And he's a and he's a he's a funny son of a bitch. I mean, he is really amusing when you hear him interviewed, or he can be very funny. Yeah. But he has a reputation of being a little prickly. Oh, and uh, so, yeah. what was it like working with him? Well, the thing with Baldwin is, I mean, the, the first thing I notice is that this is a guy that's got more experience, more years of experience than I've been alive, and yeah. and I love everything he did. And so I walked into a guy that I really respected, and so you, you try to make sure you don't get starstruck because mm-hmm. you like Thirty Rock. I, yeah. oh my gosh, you know, I just he was so good. I didn't know I didn't know he was so funny until Thirty Rock, and yeah. so it really blew me away. But he he was he was a true professional. He was, and and, and we made it easy for him, you know, because we we sat down, and I could tell, you know, he's used to seeing directors that he he'll probably never see again. He's used to working with companies that he's in there, but. He really cares. You know, I, I was surprised. Like, we talked about foundations he works with, you know, where he's put money in different things. And, and, mm-hmm. and his kids and, yeah. and his wife. And, and he'd actually had to get up early that morning because of his baby. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you've got a baby. You his know, wife, I'm, Hilaria. <laughs> I love that name. Hilaria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he just finished another shoot that went long. And mm-hmm. so I was like, well, I guess we're going to see what we get today. And I, I, we just talked to him. I was like, look, you're Baldwin. You're Baldwin. Be Baldwin. You're, you were hired to do your thing, and why don't you just look at what we're doing? I, I spent about a week with my guys. We, mm-hmm. we planned everything out so that no matter what, he would he would see a working machine. And, and so, yeah, he walked in, and, and by the end of the day, he decided to stay longer because he was having fun. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a it was a big win for us, you know. And it, you could still tell he wanted to razz the new director. He wants to because. This business is so hard to make it in. And he knows, oh, here's a guy. This kid doesn't have much experience. Let's see what he's got going for him. He's like, who cares if you went to some MTV, whatever. You know, Mm -hmm. this guy doesn't know anything. And, and, you know, I I was fine with it. I was like, you know what? You could beat me up. If I get what I want, I'm happy. How did, uh, did, who hired him? Uh, we it was it was through uh, CAA. I mean, but is it somebody you said? Let's see if we can get Alec Baldwin. You know, so you're coming up with a commercial and an advertising firm writes Mm -hmm. it. And uh, says we need a director and a cast and is, a crew. And is uh, Domo is this a local company? Yeah, is that Domo, how you got the job? Yeah, they're based down in American Fork. Mm-hmm. The the CEO of the company is a guy that's actually been probably one of my biggest fans for a long time, and because he's supported me my whole life, and I just refused to let anyone help me until like lately when I was like, okay, now I've made a name for myself. But he's actually my cousin. The, oh, the guy that I know it's it's fine. Like the guy that's that, okay. He's <laughs> the well, he's the guy that. Uh, that is with Ditka in it. He's on my white side, obviously. Oh, the guy with the big gap in his teeth. Yeah. Yeah. That's not there anymore. I couldn't believe it. That was like his trademark. I was kind of sad to see it go because now he's like really good looking. And, and he, he's the president of the company? He's the CEO. Yeah, he's, he is Utah. And he's part of like our family's. What's his, what's his name? Joshua James. 
Joshua James. Yeah, well, he goes by Josh James. So. Okay. But he he uh he's he does he's part of the reason I'm such a Utah guy. Why I never just never even thought of going to LA. I wanted to do it here, and mm. it's made it harder. But I'm a Utah guy. He he originally started a company called Omniture, and then sold that to Adobe, and then because of that, Adobe built that build big building down in Lehigh, and then he started Domo, and now Domo's. They're they're they're, they're doing well. Yeah, they're they're a software as a service company, and of course, just like my Josh, doing brilliant, he, brilliant things. He's now see. I thought that was an actor too, because <laughs> he's very good in these this commercial too. But he is in fact the C- CEO of the company. Yeah, and that, <laughs> that actually plays into why he and I connect because in our family, he and I are the actors. Um, he was he he was in a Honey Smacks commercial way back in the day. He, his dad. <laughs> His dad That's is cool. a military colonel. He was a colonel in the Marines, and so he was all over the. They moved all mm-hmm. over when they were in Chicago. Was when he got into acting, and mm-hmm. so he took the step back and went the business route. But he's he's an artist, and so he he relates to him. I think, and I hope, I guess he saw something in me because he was the one that was always trying to push me. You know, do a movie, do these things, and I was like, I gotta build a reputation because I'm gonna push people. I want them to believe in me, mm-hmm. not just get paid. Uh, just one other question uh, about, uh, or just yeah, one other Domo, uh, exactly. item about this and Domo. Yeah. Uh, now people are going to go, huh, I wonder what this looks like. People can see these things if they go to your hmm? website, which is what? Uh, it's just my name. <laughs> it's Tongan, but it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just IsaacHalasima.com. Isaac. Halasima.com. Yeah. And which we'll post you, Which a, one of you wants to spell that? Uh, Bill, why don't you take a shot at it? I think I can. Hala, H A L A I S. Hala, oh, it's Halasima. Mm-hmm. So it's H A L A S I M A. Yeah. It's funny because it's, it's more intimidating yeah. to look at I than mean, it, actually. <laughs> I've got it written down here, and if you look at it, you go, what? Huh? Oh, it's just Hala and Sema. Yeah, it's it's really funny to watch people that like when I have to wear like a tag or something. They're like, "Hey, how you doing, man?" You know, I'm just, <laughs> hey. I was like, "Really, just sound it out, you'll get it." Yeah. It's cool. So, so, uh, and we'll post a link to it. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, in the description. Podcast runs. Sure. So um, let's so let's you're, you've alluded to being a Utah guy. Yeah. You've alluded to directing MTV videos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know where where we start. Let's go back. Being <laughs> let's start with why you were. Let's start with Utah. The Utah guy. Yeah. So, so just tell us about yourself. Uh, yeah, my mom is from that Monson lineage, you know, and that the early family here was a polygamist. So there's a lot yeah. out here, and uh, and yeah, so it's I'm part Swedish because of that, yeah. and they settled in Pleasant Grove, and I was raised in the house that our pioneer great 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 grandpa built, and. Yeah, I'm just a, I, you know, it's funny. I grew up my whole life wanting to get out like any kid, mm-hmm. just like this, this state, ah, closed-minded people. But I, I, when I started working, as, as soon as I got out, well, not even then, I traveled a lot as a dancer. And, and I, I, it was funny that I would kind of hear people snicker every time I said, I'm from Utah. And it kicked some kind of competitive, angry thing in me that yep. said, all right, yeah, I'm from Utah, and I'm going to show you what we do. And... And it just never left mm. after that. It was that Tongan anger. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I, yeah. So your dad came from the island of Tonga, came to Utah. He came to Hawaii, actually. Oh, he went to Hawaii? Yeah. The, the funny story is, have, have you ever been to Hawaii? Oh, uh, many times, yeah. Yeah, um, on the beach at Waikiki, there's, yeah, a, yeah. there's a huge statue of, a, of the Duke. Duke Kama, Kamehameha. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, and he's got his arms out, and people usually put lays all mm-hmm. over him. Well, that, my uncle made that on my white side from Pleasant Grove. 
and he was teaching out there. And so my mom went out there to be with him and found a kind of Tongan. Oh, that's where she found the Tongan yeah. that she fell in love with. So your family, uh, the, the Monson side of the family, they had certain connections to Pacific Island yeah, people my, anyway. So yeah. I was going to ask you if there was some kind of scandal or anything <laughs> when this, this little Swedish Mormon girl marries this Tongan guy, but it was fine. Yeah, it was, a, you know, it's a, I mean, he, my mom's really pretty. I got to be, I got to give it to her, you know, mm-hmm. and, and my dad, I'm like, hey, you know, you did good, you know, in finding her, but uh yeah, she was out there. He was the big superstar, rugby slash volleyball slash any sport you put in front of him. In guy. Hawaii. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, from Tonga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was legends of him. And so, you know, she had me, but she's she's very Utah, so it didn't last. It only lasted a couple months, but at least it got me out of it. Wait, my, no, their marriage didn't last? Yeah, they were only married for a little while. Oh. And my mom, she came back and remarried actually another blonde-haired guy, who is my stepdad. And mm-hmm. so I have blonde-haired, blue-eyed brothers and sisters now. But your dad is, is here in Utah? Yeah. He yeah. came here, too. You know, he, he was chasing the, the big professional sports dream, I think, out there. And then he wanted to be a dad. Mm. So he came here, and it, it worked out for the better. To buddy. be close to you, his yeah. son. That's and cool. what is uh, yeah. and he he coaches a rugby team here. Yeah, he uh, he helps start the Provo Steelers. Which if if you know Polynesians, you can mention the Provo Steelers, and they might either try to punch you or they'll or they'll say, "Oh yeah, they're good." You know? Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, oh, we're known for some fights, mm-hmm. but you know, we're we're good." I was always the guy that like if a fight started, go, "Guys, there's a stereotype. We need to beat this." You know? But but you know, it's. Uh, but then yeah. count you down, and then did you join in after you said that? No, guys, no. And then jump in? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if, sure. if, if the head's on the ground, you've got to kick it. You've got to throw you know? it down. <laughs> got, it. Yeah, got, it. got it. Especially if it's a guy you're going to have to tackle. you got to just, you know. So your dad, being this big uh, bruising Tongan guy <laughs> that, uh, you know, plays rugby in all sports, uh, how is it that Isaac, his, his <laughs> son, was such a disappointment <laughs> and became <laughs> a dancer? I know. I know. I You know, he never said it up front, but you... There's a little tweet. You, you could see it, you know, because I, I, I would do, I would run, and I was pretty fast, and I, you know, like I did long jump for the heck of it with no coach, and I, I got 22 feet and that stuff, and it was like he saw some athleticism in there that the man in him wanted me to try, but I was being raised by my mom, who is the most talented artist I know, and and she found a way to combine that psychotic competitive side that comes from my dad, the coach, mm-hmm. with art. And and for me, you know, a physical art is dancing, and that's it, it stuck pretty well. Especially, when spe- did you start? When did you take it up? Uh, it was it was when I was five. I uh, I saw Michael Jackson, and I yeah. and actually Todd Newcomb when he called me that one at station. That's another story. But but because uh, he told me too much Michael Jackson one time. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I saw Billie Jean. The dance, yep. the, the famous one on the, on sure. the Motown Awards. And sure. I memorized sure. it, and I would do it everywhere around the house. And my mom's like, dance. Because when I played sports, I was angry. So it was like, you know, put me into something else. And, and it stuck. And then you said you traveled as a dancer. Was that with school? Uh, no. No, I got, I got picked up by some, by some groups. We, I was in one group because we didn't have a lot of money, so I had to earn scholarships to, to dance. And I liked it because that kept me tapped into that competitive side. And that got your, you, your uh, college scholarships was going into dance? That, that, was, that was actually film. But, uh, oh. but, but Scholarships to be part of the Yeah, part dance of the dance group. group. Oh, I see. Because if you want to be with the best, it, it ends up costing quite a bit. And, yeah. and we won a national title, and then I joined another group and started traveling to Japan and places, representing the U.S. during like some NASCAR races they had out there. and. Hmm. I'm like the Forrest Gump of Utah is what I feel like sometimes. Because I, I also tried out as a dancer during the Olympics here. And 
I danced at the Meadows Plaza, but they also had me um, be a metal bear. So during the metal ceremonies, I would go out with whoever's putting around their neck, and I'd stand mm-hmm. there holding all the medals. And, and I actually, I, I don't want to say it's because maybe I'm a brown Utah, but, you know, I, I also went to the NSYNC concert during the Olympics with Mitt Romney. And, well, uh, there you, you know, go. <laughs> which is a funny story, but, you know. Uh, uh, okay, tell it. So, well, it's just, it was just it was just funny because, like, they kind of just kind of guided me in, you know, because I loved it. Like, I love artists. I, I love them. And every band that came in, Dave Matthews' band was probably one of my favorite guys just to be around because no one was more normal out of anyone I'd met. Like, they came off stage, and they just wanted to be dudes and say hi to everybody. Mm-hmm. It was amazing, you know. But, but yeah, it's uh, – they, I, I got guided, asked to go somewhere, and then it was the one time I was, they were allowing us to come out in front of the stage and watch a concert. And so I'm standing there, and there's people taking pictures because it's Mitt, you know, the, the head of it all. And mm-hmm. I look, and I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm with Mitt Romney watching NSYNC. This is, That's pretty weird. This is really weird. Yeah. And so it's when, probably the whitest thing. <laughs> I know. Your white side was very proud I know, of that yeah. moment. <laughs> that, that blonde hair that wishes it was there, you know, was just saying, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there you yeah. There you did, go. You, did you ever feel that growing up that you... Uh, you wanted to be not Tongan and not brown skinned, and it's you know you hear it from a lot of people. Like I've heard Jeter talk about it. I've heard like Mariah Carey talk about it. When, when you're a mix, it's sometimes you can go through some identity crises. You can you can because uh, you don't fit in. And, and me, where I didn't have, I was being raised by my white side at Pleasant Grove High School, where there was like me and another guy. You know, yeah. they, were, they were holding and down you, the minority. And you had uh, uh, half-brothers and sisters. Yeah, they were all that blonde were hair, blue eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, uh, you know, it's, I, was, I was lucky that my parents never moved. Like, my mom never moved. Because you, you would have to pry her out of that house. It's the family house. It's not happening. But because of that, I grew up with the same kid group. And, and everyone hopefully knows that you're not born racist. You're not born seeing colors. You're born seeing people. Mm-hmm. And so... I grew up with the same people. You know, all of us went to high school together, all of us, all the way up. And, yeah. and so I actually never felt things. If anything, I would forget even to look at that. We go to another school, and I'm not on the football team, and somebody come up and be like, hey, why isn't the Tongan playing? And all of us, including me, are like, what? We got a Tongan. Oh, wait. Right. <laughs> oh, that's me. Oh, yeah. shoot. Yeah, my bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I, I'm a dancer. That's why. I got ballet after this. So, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah. Uh, now, did you, so were you thinking that you were going to make dance your career somehow nah, no the writing's on the wall pretty early as dancers because there's one there's not a lot of money it's all passion and usually you retire in your 20s as, as a dancer because it's there's not a lot on it and and so i did want to utilize what i had because one i i was fighting to get in front of the stage and since i had that i wanted to make sure i got something out of it too and and after one of the competitions was when a, some agents saw me and i was first put in a commercial it was an Arctic Circle commercial as a dancer. And then an agent who didn't sign me yet, they're just like, why don't you go try out for a movie? And I'm like, all right, why not? And mm-hmm. so I tried out. I looked at the script, and no kidding, it's the description of the character I was reading for it said, heavy set, short, blonde hair, blue-eyed boy. And I was just like, whoa, yeah, this is, that's like, no, I could be a shadow. That's about it. And, <laughs> and so I, I just went in there, and I've never acted in my life, and I got the part. And... And I had the third most lines in the movie. And what was the movie? Anything people would sort of know? <laughs> yeah, a lot of people that grew up here would know it. That's the worst part about it. And it's... Well, the thing, okay, but before I say it, I, I had never acted. <laughs> I'd never had an acting class. I'd never given a line. I was in plays, but as a dancer that could jump mm-hmm. over stuff. You know, that was about it. And 
But yeah, it was the Buttercream Gang Part 2. I have heard of that. Yeah, the first one's really emotional and, and really good. It's, it's a good movie, especially when you see what they did it for. The second one, they had money. And so it, it's, it's kind of this in-between the first one and Goonies, the way it works out. <laughs> and yeah, I just, I, I had, I, there's a line that's still stuck in my head from that movie because I was so scared every day, like, of looking like a fool. And I did anyway, but... Mm. But if I get the lines out, they couldn't get mad about that. And that's all I worried about. What's the line that's stuck in there? (laughs) Well, one of the characters goes off, and he's climbing a mountain. He's going to fall off, probably die. And so I run over to the big group of parents, and I'm just like, you know, Eldon has got himself into a precarious situation. And they're like, precarious? He's like, he's gotten himself into a circumstance dependent upon chance, risk, and insecure, and an uncertain. And then they look at me like, he's about to do something goofy. (laughs) And it's... It's wild. That's still in my head because that's that was day two of shooting the first. Day. That's a lot to ask of a, a guy who's never done it before. Oh yeah. I, How old were you? I was thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, I was thirteen, and yeah, it it was and it was weird because like that's when I knew I was in the right place at Pleasant Grove because my friends and everyone I knew that knew me growing up, they didn't see anything but oh look it's Isaac that's funny mm-hmm. and that's it so it's good. Uh, now, I'll uh, ask a long question. You can have another bite of your oh, okay. uh, fish taco. We're having fish tacos and french fries and stuff here. It's really good. At the Yeah, they are great here. Uh, mm-hmm. At the uh, uh, club and cafe at 50 West, 50 West Broadway. Uh, right below. South. Yeah, 3rd South. Right below the X96 Studios, uh, where I spend most of my day. Uh, we're talking to uh, Isaac Halizima. Mm-hmm. He is, has directed his very first feature-length film. But uh, uh, Isaac became a director of videos and films. When, uh, when did you? St- I mean, I guess you probably knew you wanted to do it for a mm-hmm. long time. Yeah. So, how did you develop that? And no, it's. I mean, my mom knew there's something wrong with me when I was eight, and I was more excited for the Chinese theater than Disneyland. So she knew that oh, there's already something messed up with me. <laughs> but when I was in fifth grade is when I saw Glory. And oh, Denzel Washington, that Civil War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massachusetts 54. Which just caused an uproar in some school up in Ogden, as I recall. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, the teacher, sh- I, uh, where was it? But anyway, the teacher showed, there's a lot of profanity in that movie. The ar- oh, I, yeah, the drill sergeant, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty harsh movie, mm-hmm. and some teacher showed it up there and started discussing race. And, That's right. And wasn't it all in Ogden? I think, I think it was Ogden. Just, Ogden represent. Just, no yeah. way. Oh, I love that. That's my favorite movie. And yeah. so, yeah. well, see, for me, that movie, I, I was sitting in a classroom, because we watched it in school, too, mm-hmm. and I was crying, like, uncontrollably. And I think, and it's nothing... It, like, I know parents beat themselves up for it, but it's, it kind of happens when divorce. You have a hard time. You either have a hard time openly or you close stuff down. And I was the type that closed it down because I didn't want my mom to struggle. So I was always keeping things in. And that movie broke me open. And, and after that, I loved the way I felt. And I just said, I'm going to do movies. I didn't know how I was going to do them. I would tell people I want to make movies, and they Oh, cute kid. Welcome to Pleasant Grove. There's, you're in Utah. You're not going to do that. But dream, dream. And, and little did they know, you, you don't tell me I can't do something or it just gets worse. So uh, you started, uh, I assume you started just with, go ahead and take another yeah, bite yeah. and I'll ask a long enough question you can chew. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I assume you started uh, your, just by getting a, a video camera wherever you could and just mm-hmm. doing stuff. Yeah. 
on your, your buddies, own. With your pals. Yeah, with your friends and stuff like that. Yeah, I had two friends in high school. Our school bought, it was, well, I, I took a really weird route. I, I did. The best way to put it is I, after that movie, I got a TV show. Again, in this audition, I just hung out with a friend, and they saw me sitting there and said, why not? And then they gave me the part. And I was like, I felt terrible for my friend. What that TV was show? It was called Zinge TV. It was on KSL. And that's, that was the life changer because two of the producers of that show took me under their wing, and, and some bad stuff happened. One of the producers was, was killed. And so we bonded, me and the other producer. It was Roxanne Hasegawa, if you know who she was. She was in yeah. Channel 4. Yeah, Rox. Mm-hmm. It was her show. Oh. And so she took me under her wing, and she let me, as a 13-year-old, start cutting pieces as an editor at KSL. And then the station as a whole kind of raised me. And I ended up all through high school doing the dancing and all that stuff, but all through high school I worked for free just so I could be around the cameras, just so I could be with all the stuff. And then finally when I was 18 and old enough to be hired, they hired me for a year and then I left. But but it was, uh, well, I went back after. But, but they, uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of where I saw it happen. And then you went to uh, college to... Uh... Yeah, well, I did a mission, and then I went to... Um, Where'd you go on your mission? Illinois. Oh. Shenanda Tonga. <laughs> I, you know, I wanted to... I told him I want, I want the islands or a really big city that's always warm. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I remember my first winter, I was sitting in Macomb, Illinois, and it was negative 20. <laughs> and, and I was like, you know, it's, it's where Western Illinois University is. And I was just looking outside, and I was like, wow. Yeah, I'm never asking for anything. I'm just going to fight for what I want from now on. <laughs> but... but uh, but yeah, yeah, I got back, went to UVU. Um, a couple of the videos we made when I was in high school um, won the, the state film competition, which doesn't, it sounds kind of impressive until you realize that our school was the only one with the nonlinear editing system. And, <laughs> and I knew that going into the competition, so I was kind of a cheater in a way, even though I, just, I had the newest, best stuff, but no one knew how to use it. So my whole senior year of high school, I never left the school before 10 o'clock at night. Because I wanted to master it. I worked at the radio station, and then I worked at the TV room. And that was it. The janitors got to know me really well. Yeah. Because they'd catch me hiding, trying to, like, make it before they, like, you know, so they leave, and then I could do an all-nighter. Which I got a few of them in, but they were good at finding me. Because they were looking for me. <laughs> you know, and I'm a terrible liar. So, so yeah, but yeah, that's, that's what did it. And, uh, and then you went to uh, college and mm-hmm. studied film and video. and uh, Yeah, there was UVU was one of the, uh, the scholarship offers for me. And uh, they didn't have a film program. They had student media. And since I already had um, experience at KSL, it, just, it was a fit. So I started producing and writing. I didn't like writing until I was at UVU. And one teacher just, you know, you, you always have that one person that gets it. They, they know what's holding you back. And that, this one, he unlocked something that I didn't know I had in me. And I started writing. And, yeah, from there I did an internship at KSL. And when it was over, I got a full-time job. And I, I became the sports editor. And then in 2006, I went freelance. Freelance and started your own production yeah. company just in 06. That's really not that long ago. Yeah. Was- uh, listen, can we take a break right now? Yeah. yeah. We'll take a break for a couple of seconds. Sure. Let, uh, we'll let Isaac finish his uh, fish taco. And uh, we'll be back. You know, you were going to call the film that you've, that's coming out, you were going to call it Into the Mystic. Uh, we'll find out why you didn't call it into the mystic, but maybe we could play that song by Van Morrison. I was about to say, go with the doors. Uh, yeah, right. let's let's do that. We'll put a little bit of that in here, and Great. I'll be right back. That's good. When that fog horn blows, 
You know I will be coming home And when that foghorn whistle blows I gotta hear it I don't have to fear it And I wanna rock your gypsy soul Just like way back in the day So uh, uh, we're back with uh, uh, Isaac Halasima, <laughs> and uh, we're, we're going to talk here about his now, what has become his career, <laughs> yeah. film director, uh, and, uh, wh- and, and he's done his first feature film, and we'll talk about that. Yeah. So uh, you go, you decide you're going to be a film director, mm-hmm. and uh, you start... I mean, what did you? What was the first thing you did where you said, "I, I've done this and I can sell it and I have made money with it"? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, when, when I was going freelance, when I first started, I made the mistake of trying to give people what they wanted, and and it, it took me a while, and I had to do free stuff to realize that there might be value in the way I want to do things, and so I I'd studied. Movies, like, movies are the reason I love Kiss. I wanted to do movies. And, and, and I just needed to find a way in. I wasn't going to go to film school now. I'd already left school and pride. wasn't going to let me go back yet. Yeah. And then uh, I, I started studying the music video director route. David Fincher came from music videos. Anton Fuqua. Even Michael Bay did. A lot like, of guys, yeah. It, it, and it seems like the new route. And I think a lot of it had to do with it. In a music video, everything's tight. Schedule's tight. The budget's tight. Everything's just horrible. And if you make it look good, it proves that you can help a studio out. And so I had a buddy in Pleasant Grove, and he's actually a big one, too. I don't know if you've seen the new Lagoon commercials. Um, yeah. Have that mm-hmm. Wes Anderson feel. They, mm-hmm. he's, he did all those, and he's the director of those. Mm-hmm. And we went to high school together. We were UVU together. We, we do a lot. And mm-hmm. he, but he hadn't done anything yet like that, and he wanted to do music videos. And so I was like, well, let's do them. And in Provo, there's, a, there's Valor. I don't know if you know Valor. Club Valor, sure. That place and Corey Fox is brilliant. The one that runs that place, mm-hmm. you know, he, he doesn't make any money on it, but he wants it to be for the artist. Well, they just it. had a big fundraiser for him. Yeah, Imagine Dragons did it. Yeah, yeah with Neon Trees, which is wild because mm-hmm. those two were the battlers in Provo at one point. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was pretty much whatever Corey said was worthy of a music video, we did them for free. And Matt started. I jumped on board with it, and then that's when I directed my first thing as a true director. For the full crew, as for free, but for Imagine Dragons, I did an acoustic version of their song. It's time. It's in one room, mm-hmm. and we since it was so quick, we, we only had we we'd shoot it. We'd have them do the song like three times, and record it live, and then cut. And that's all we had time for, because then I had to go figure out how to make money. And and yeah, that was that's what it did. Eventually, I mean, we did. Matt did way more. He eats unbelievable. He still does them because he's just addicted to it. Mm-hmm. But but. When Imagine Dragons took off, when Neon Trees took off, um, the labels started noticing um, who was doing these videos because yeah. the production value was high. And we, what I liked about Matt and me is we were doing it our way. And it was the first time that we were going to get hired for the way we do things. Mm-hmm. And then that's when it all changed. We ended up, BYU TV approached Matt and gave him a TV show. It was an acoustic TV show that was a weird fit for BYU TV because we wanted to do bands and it was it was a docu a rock doc type of tv show uh-huh. and we what directed, was it called it was called audio files on on there i directed three of the episodes 
I, I traveled with a bluegrass band, and I traveled with... It's when I really expanded my love for music, because mm-hmm. I got them all. And, and then did the long one on Imagine Dragons, and then that's when Interscope asked for a longer documentary for them on Imagine Dragons. And so I, I, I walked away from audio files, which was hard, because Matt is my boy, and I'll do anything for that guy. But, but uh, yeah, did the first doc with the worst budget. Like, it was... Probably shouldn't have been, it was it was like ten grand and I had to live with them for a month and then edit for three months. <laughs> yeah, for came down grand. to like yeah, like a dime an hour is what I was about making. Yeah. But but you don't care when you love it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Interscope sold it, Palladia bought it, started playing it, VH one ran it, and then that's when they gave me demons. And after demons, like when, when they called me about demons, I knew that was my favorite song of the album. And I just I knew I'm like, okay, hey, this is this is probably where my life's going to change because a lot of people are going to see this video. And, yeah, did that one. And next, you know, that's when we got the, the MMVA award, which people don't know here much. It's kind of like the VH1 of Canada. Oh, I see. But it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's amazing what they put out there. We won that award, and then I got nominated with the, the yeah, rock, yeah, rock Video of the Year for the MTV Awards, mm-hmm. which was weird because I was excited thinking I was the first Polynesian, you know, to be nominated as a director for uh, an MTV award, but the guy I was up against was a Polynesian from New Zealand. Really? Yeah, he directed uh, Lord's video for that song, Royals. Oh, yeah. And then she won, and the only thing that made me mad Dang it. was that that song has no guitars in it, and it was hard for me to say that that was a rock song if there's no guitar in that song. <laughs> well, there's always there are always questions about the categories as I, <laughs> I at the MTV Music. There, why is and same thing at the Grammys. Why is that nominated for that category? <laughs> I know. You, know, you get behind it, and you, you see the politics, and and what's good is the band taught me a lot about the industry. I learned a lot about how to navigate things, a lot, a lot about the politics that play into things and how to, how to work through it. Because those guys, I, I, I feel for bands. I, I've, never seen, I've never seen people work like the real successful bands have to work to yeah. be big. You know, and it, and it, it really motivates you. What was um, it like going to those award, the award show? Did you go? Yeah. 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 Just, yeah, of course. <laughs> I want to know all about that, that experience. <laughs> Dude, I am. Did you, was it a surprise when you got the nomination? Yeah, the nomination was, the nomination was hilarious. Just... <laughs> Because, you know, okay. anyone that ever tries to impress anybody is saying, yeah, I'm a music video director, just know they're poor. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. a thing if they're a music video. They might be sure. a brilliant audience, but I mean, uh, artists, but they're probably dirt poor. But, but we, uh, yeah, well, the funniest for me really is the Billboard Awards. Um, they're like, yeah, come with us. And I was like, so do I dress up for that? And they're like, have you seen the right, you, you got to get something. So yeah. on the way to the awards show an hour before, I stopped at Walmart. And down in Vegas, and I, I found some shoes that looked like church shoes, but they also were slick resistance if you work on cars. And then found some black pants and a black shirt that it was, it was also one of those like heavy duty black shirts, which in Vegas in the summer is the worst idea ever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, next thing you know, I'm walking the red carpet with Imagine Dragons at the Billboard Awards. And you know, I stand next to Ludacris, and he's looking at me like, all right, man. And I was like, hey, this whole outfit was like 50 bucks. You know, you don't want to. <laughs> mm-hmm. He was like, Dan's shirt there, that's probably like 1000 So yeah. look at that. You mm-hmm. know, and the, and the MTV Awards, the funniest was that. It was the first time, because the band didn't go, which was a sign to me. I'm like, oh, I'm probably not going to win, but I'm going to enjoy this. Because mm-hmm. when you dream big, you want to see something to validate it. And, and just to have my name on that big screen in front of all those stars was going to mm-hmm. be a big deal for me. So I took my wife, who was super pregnant. 
you know, to that thing. And for her, it's like, you know, I finally get to go to something like the MTV Awards, and I'm like six months pregnant. And I was like, yeah, but you're still going to be the hottest one there. Yeah, 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 good for you. Yeah, and it's great because, you know, I pull up in my Hyundai Sonata. Mm-hmm. It's paid off, so it's awesome. <laughs> you know, with a cracked windshield, and it's missing a mirror. But uh, pull up sure. to that thing, you know, park next to, like, something that's worth eight yeah. houses and walk in there, and she and I are just the ones, like, I mean, she's pregnant. We can't do anything really we're just watching the wildness that is the mtv (laughs) you know but it was it's you dream of stuff like that and you can either like see it and look at it and be like oh that's not what i thought or you can just say you know what so this is what it is all right Mm -hmm. you know and it's everything for me is a learning experience i want to know how to navigate that game so i wanted to be there i want to see it you know that like imagine dragons they did take a take a chance with me Mm -hmm. you know i was a nobody you know sure i did a free video for him but when they signed with Interscope, they had anybody in the world they could take. Sure, but they like—I mean, they liked you, so yeah. Well, and, and to props to them, they hung close to the the home guys. The fact they came back here did a benefit for Valor. Yeah, they you know Matt Easton directed two of their videos. He did on, he did on top of the world, and then he did Roots, and I did Gold, and I did Demons. The the guys are they're good dudes, and mm. and seeing good people survive what that is out there meant yeah. a lot to me. Yeah. And it showed that it's possible, though, too. So, uh, yeah, but always in the back of your mind, you're going to do a future film. Yeah. How was, did this uh, last descent, mm-hmm. um, the uh, story of the Nutty Putty Cave, how did that come into your um, world? Ever since I was in seventh grade, I started collecting stories. I've got binders of stories that I would love to do for movies. I didn't like reading books, so everything I know, <laughs> I've read one book. You know, and it was... Wait, what is it? Uh, well, it was, you know, it was a scripture because I... Oh, okay. But you had, you had to read the Book of Mormon. Well, you had to because I'm competitive, and if someone tells me something that I don't agree with, I'm going to make sure I know their religion better than them. So, but anyway, I... I uh, yeah, I... <laughs> how did it work out here? So, I, so you had that story in your file? But. Yeah, it was one of them I collected. And, and, and what I noticed is when, the, when it was happening, it was horrifying. And when do you remember it happening? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I, I do. I was I was editing a big project at the time for someone else, and it gave me a lot of render time to watch TV. And then Thanksgiving, because I was divorced at the time, actually, and alone, so I would work and have the TV on, and it was the only thing on the news. Let's talk about what the story is. Yeah, I'm not really the familiar story with of it. the Nutty Putty Cave yeah. and uh, John Johnson, John Jones, yeah, Jones, excuse me, John Jones, okay, who. Uh, uh, we, uh, a day before Thanksgiving in mm-hmm. 2009? 2000, mm-hmm. 2009. Um, he and... He... he uh, well, you can tell the story. I guess. Yeah. He, he, he was from Utah, but he'd been living in Virginia, going to medical school mm-hmm. uh, with his... Uh, and he, he came back home for Thanksgiving with his pregnant wife. Mm-hmm. They yeah. had one child. His wife was pregnant. Uh, they get together a big group of family and friends, and they go to this nutty putty cave, mm-hmm. which was which is um, about, uh, kind of west of Sandequin. Yeah, still it's, still in Utah County, but yeah, it's across the lake. That's like, if you're in the pro area stuff, you can you can kind of see where it is. Springville, you get a straight shot to look where it's at, but it's mm-hmm. it's it's an old geyser, like old whatever that one is in Yellowstone. That's what it is. So when I explain a cave to people, I'm like, can you go down? <laughs> yeah, it's not a hole in the rock. Yeah. It's, a, it's a hole going down into the ground, yeah. and then there are caverns there. Yeah, and that first climb into it, because I went into it with my Boy Scout group, and I only went through the opening and stopped. I was like, no way, not doing that. Because mm-hmm. to get in the opening, I had to crawl through something 
that was touching my back and my chest as I was crawling. And at one point, I felt like my whole body was touching like that. And mm-hmm. I didn't know I was claustrophobic. I don't think I really am, but it'll make you claustrophobic. This and, Nutty Putty Cave was very popular oh, yeah. uh, for uh, scout troops went there. Mm-hmm. All kinds of people went there all the time. Well, it was, it was it used popular. to be used to be free access, and then because there had been some accidents or mm-hmm. people getting trapped and having to be rescued, yeah. then it became a place where you had to get a permit. But you could still get a permit mm-hmm. and go. And his, I guess his family got a permit. Yeah, his brother did with him. And the thing is, 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 one thing people do need to know is John knew what he was doing. Him and his brother are very adventurous people. And they, they'd been caving. His dad knew that cave. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it's, they were smart people that knew what they were doing. And that's why it, it really should point out to people a little bit like that's how dangerous that was mm-hmm. it I, when i went in scouts I'm like oh it feels scary but it's not dangerous and it's like no it was the whole time you know it was just a matter of time before someone got stuck you know and it's and it's it's been hard on the community because the cave was an anomaly they never found the end of it and it was warm it was always warm in the winter mm-hmm. it was warm mm-hmm. and so it was one of those special things that everyone knew about especially geologists knew about yeah. and they still wanted to study so so, so they go into the cave, and he goes off and gets trapped in this crevice. He's trying to go forward, and all of a sudden, he can't go forward anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and it's, he can't back out. He was looking for the birth canal. Yeah, and, that's what it's called, the birth canal, yeah. And what, what it is is when you go into a cave like that, you expect it to close and open, close and open. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm kind of assuming a little bit here because the stories it's hard to get straight stories because there's so many different points of views in the cave but uh it, he was thinking it was going to open and it didn't and next just got you, narrower and narrower yeah and next thing you know he's for whatever reason some wonder if he, he maybe passed out or something don't know but he he slid down further than he should have been and he's facing down on, on about a 70 degree angle it's and i've heard different stories on the angle but about 70 like that, and his, and his feet in the hole where he started climbing down filled almost the entire hole. And the problem with where his feet were is the top of the section, it was a hook, kind of like a teepee, top of a teepee type thing, mm-hmm. so that when, he, when you push back, your feet hit the top of the cave, and you can't turn sideways anymore now to get around. And that's one of the first things the rescuers saw when they got there. It's like they're going to have to break his legs to get him out. You know, because they can't just pull him He's out. He's hanging essentially upside down. Yeah, but it's tight enough. And, and if he'd lost control, that, like, even if he'd gotten too limp at one point, mm-hmm. he could have slid. Because as soon as he stretched out his body, he was, he's jammed. Mm-hmm. He, could, he had one arm forward and one arm behind him. Oh, boy. And, yeah, that was about 22, 27 hours. So, uh, they tried everything they could think of. Yeah, it's... And, and to the to rescuers, yeah, you have a man. The, the worst part is he's upside down, which changes the time. You know, he's 150 feet, I think, underground, and so you can't drill to him either because you're going through rock to get to him. And so they just did everything they could think of. They, they, we, we've kind of compressed the story of the things they did in the movie, but they did. They were able to lift him a little bit. And from us, what we did is we took the lift. And then we skip to the part where everything comes apart. Mm-hmm. But he, yeah, they were able to get him to lift a little bit, give him some water, talk to him. And the whole, the whole movie's built around the talking. And, yeah. then, and then the pulley system ripped out and it dropped they, him. Yeah, they, they, they were rigging up some kind of a system that they thought they could pull him out by his feet. Mm-hmm. They, they knew they'd probably have to break his legs, which would put him into shock. So 
They were planning on a race to get him out of the cave, get him to a helicopter or something, and get him out there to, to hurry and save him. Because toxins build up when you're upside down. There's all sorts of things that go... Upside down was the worst part of it. Yeah. And so, yeah, they they did all they could. But when it came apart... The pulley system broke. It. Yeah. And, and the thing... And the rescuers only... I think it was three to five could fit. Over 120 went there. But only three or five could fit, if I remember right. My head's a little off right now. But when they would reach in, they could only see a little bit through the side to see him where he's at. And when they'd reach down to touch him, they could get maybe to his knee. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was just, it was, it was a hopeless situation that they did whatever they could. It's like, it's, I, I don't know, I can't imagine what it's like to see something like that and, and know that naturally you're going to go, it's that, it's just, I can't do it. But, and, and he's talking to people this whole time. And, and that, that's what got me on this story. You know, after, after the horrific events, when, when the article started coming out on what he was like inside the cave, mm-hmm. where he was, he was singing with rescuers. You know, there was... He was one church was, hymns. Yeah, church. He was a very religious person. LDS church yeah. hymns. And it's, it, that's one of the things that I tread lightly with on this because I, I wanted... I, I don't want to nail that audience. You know, I'm not that guy. You know, I'm not... You don't want to be a Mormon... <laughs> yeah, there's... You don't want to be, be one of those LDS directors. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's people that are way better than that than I am. You know, and I'm, I, I'm just a storyteller. You know, that's what I am. And, and, and with this one, it's... I, I hope people look at him and don't say, oh, look, a Mormon movie. They look at him and say, oh, it's a guy that just happened to be a Mormon. You know, and it's part of what made him a good person, though. And they, like, to comfort him, they would sing. He prayed. People that had never been to church, like, well, hadn't been forever, are suddenly, like, touched by him. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes it that much harder for every rescuer involved. At some point, he knows, he must know that this... Yeah. It, it was he, about... He must have lost hope at some point and said, oh, this is good. This yeah. is it. Well, and I actually spent some time with the real doctor. Um, the, we have another guy playing, obviously, in the movie. But this is about what happens to your mind when you're like that. And, and that's what opened up the way for me to tell this story. Because I, I sat on it for four years trying to figure out a positive angle on this movie. Because <laughs> I couldn't tell it if it's just that story. It's, it's like all those great movies that you never want to watch again. I don't want that. And so, so we talked about that. And, yeah, he... As he loses a little bit of hope here and there, he also feels like he's getting the flu. He also, because of the, the blood rushing to his head, he's, mm-hmm. he starts seeing a few things, and he knows something's, something's bad. And then he's in medical school, so he knows what's going on with his body. And the, the, the part, actually, when I read about after was I didn't know until later on that they'd got a calm system down to him so he could talk to his wife. And, you know, she could, well, she could talk to him. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that was... You know, she's just weeks pregnant. He's mm-hmm. got a two-year-old baby. He's 26. She was 20. She like five years younger, I think. It was, it's just. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and that's kind of what the story focuses on for me. It's, it's uh, I hope people look at this. Because, John, what worries me with a lot of stories like that in real life and things is I, I have friends that they'll see people like our track coach died when I was in high school. They're like, man, why did he run to school every day if he was just going to die of a heart attack? Like, yeah. it didn't do anything. And, and to me, I was just like, maybe he got 10 extra years because of that running. You know, it's but a lot of people tend to give up hope for trying because we'll die anyway. And this guy was too good of a person. He was, he was just the stories mm-hmm. I read of him. I was like, you're the you're the kid that every parent wished they had. Yeah. You know, he, he was a leader. He was everything. And so it, it's not fair for someone to go like that. 
And, and there's that age-old question of why does God allow yeah. bad things to happen to good people? Yeah, and, and that's what this one actually does. It, it kind of takes a step into, but we, we don't mention God ever in it. It's, it's more of a, a personal quest of looking back on your life and asking yourself, you know, if, could I be at peace with my life? And, and a guy like him very well should have been at peace with his life. He's a great guy. You know, he, he deserves it. How did you, um, you must have had to get permission, some mm-hmm. permission from, uh, well, uh, you could have done this story and changed the names mm-hmm. and, and uh, changed the name of the cave and changed the name of the people and just done the story mm-hmm. and been on solid ground probably legally. Yeah, yeah. But you wanted to do the true story. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that without the permission of the family and, and the people involved, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's took a – the thing that I wanted to do with it is, is focus on John. There's the cave, but this is a movie without bad guys. But you feel like you got a bad guy because he's stuck in this cave. The cave is the bad guy. Yeah. And, it, and the weird part about it is it, – and it's my thing. Working with my sound guy, I'm like, okay, I want you to make this cave alive. So the cave's almost apologizing too. Like – because people love that cave. And, and – I, I thought there it was are people cool who are now they they closed it down after that. For, they say for good. Yeah, twelve tons of cement in that open hole. Yeah. Oh, is that what they? Yeah. Yeah, because it is. That's. You know, I have a gross question. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they get him out at some point after he died? It was just too dangerous, because everything was loose, and each of the rescuers I talked to said that they almost got stuck. Every one of them trying to just get to him. Mm-hmm. Because it was one section. Even the guy that I sat on a news report because there's there news. I chose to put news stories in this rather than try to tell what they were doing in there and the situation. I let the news tell that. You ran some actual news footage and stuff in the Yeah, in the I got, movie. got permission to run news footage. And then and that way I don't have to sit there and try to explain yeah. a whole mm-hmm. thing. I can focus on the love story. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so so there's that whole side of things. And that, that helped me there so that I could do the love story. And so I had to go to Emily. The his surviving wife, mm-hmm. yeah, and get permission from her mm-hmm. because and I, I did I wanted it to be the real thing. I didn't think because it would impact something or anything like that, but because it it's, it sounds I don't know people take it for what it's worth. It was a chance for John to do something for his kids because poor there she gets she gets a kick on this and mm-hmm. and it'll help them and plus it'll help people learn about a guy. It'll it'll it's a love story in the end. Because that's what I focus on. She was gave it me, difficult to convince her at all to do this? Or? You know, I, I was going to give this. It, I'm usually pretty headstrong. You mm-hmm. know, I come from a family of business people. And when, when I walked into this one, I, I, had, I had to fly to Texas to do it, which I didn't have a lot of money, but I did it. And we get down with her. And, and it was in my mind that if she even hesitates, I won't do it. And, but I wanted to give her the whole pitch, the whole story, beginning to end. That, it, that with there's, I took some very creative... Not necessarily story-wise, but, well, it's in the story, but some creative elements of myself that are, are very artistic, I guess you could say. You know, following, if you know Terrence Malick, kind of some of his things sure. he does, and a few things to make it feel a little surreal at points. But, but I did some things to the story to help it twist into more of an inspiration. And I wanted her to hear the whole thing, beginning to end. And by the end, I was a, I was a wreck, you know. And no one wants to see a Tongan cry because we, we're, we're awful at it. We're very emotional people. And, and, and then, but she was crying, too. And, and I have to remember that. Nobody wants to see a Tongan cry. Nobody wants no, to see man, a Tongan you, cry. Dude, we, like, we cry, and then if someone smiles at us, we're in anger mode instantly. So you've you got to watch out. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, 
she liked it. And she even told me later that she was hesitant when we got there. Mm-hmm. So it was like she was already in the mode that kicked me out. But mm-hmm. she went for it. And that was the main focus for my story. And there's and I, I did try it at some points. I'm like, well, okay, we'll explain the cave. We'll have more rescuers all this stuff. But the budget was lower. And so I felt, well, I'm going to cut back on what I need to to make the story stronger. You know, how, uh, how involved then was she in the process? And, and very, very, very involved. She, uh, she gave me a lot of material. She, she walked me through the, like, everything they did when they dated, which is in the movie. Like how they met is in there. You know, and I, obviously I put my own twist on it to help our actors out. And then I gave my actors freedom to translate the role to themselves. And, and so it's, it's obviously not perfect. But Emily, after we, we screened it for her, and she's seen a rough cut of it, huh? Ah, uh, she saw it. Yeah, the only thing that's going to be a little different is some visual effects that I'm finishing mm-hmm. up, but that I have to turn in tonight. But uh, she's a, uh, she, she said I was I was like I, I tried I tried to get it close without being the same, mm-hmm. and she she was like you got it, and I was like, obviously there I'm a wreck again. I have to walk away and pretend like nothing's happening, but mm-hmm. but it was uh yeah it tells just the sweetest love story because she told him no when she tried to marry him. It's, uh, it's just, are there? Are, are, has she remained a really staunch and faithful LDS person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have most of the have all of the people sort of? Not necessarily John's family, mm-hmm. it, like his brothers and stuff. They they they're a wild bunch. They they for all those boys, it is the personalities. It's like it's own. They're all different. It's, it's a big family too. Isn't it's it? a very big family. Yeah, and they they everything from the John to. To the guy that's doing things his own way, and it's mm-hmm. everything in between. It's it's really. Now, did amazing. you have to get permission from some of, from that side of the family? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we have Josh, his brother. Rather than have the whole family go in the cave, we turned it into two of them, Josh and John, because they spent the most time together going in there. Yeah. And so, yeah, with Josh, we did it, and and they they were on board. You know, it's it's really hard for them. You know, it's it's their brother, and I wasn't as ready for that. I because I. I've lost my sister. I lost her when she was 21, and I was, you know, I'm five years older than her. And so I, I kind of thought I had a feeling of it, but I forgot to remember everybody's different, and everybody takes things different. So it's it took a little, it took a little, and it's it's still hard on all of them. Like, um, yeah. And uh, and the, then there's this aspect of the whole thing, and I don't know if you touch on this in the movie or mm-hmm. not. There are people to this day who are pissed off that they closed that cave oh. off, and they're. Yeah, yeah. It's even a, even in in light of this mm-hmm. horrible thing, and it's become the tomb for this man. Mm-hmm. But they're still angry that the cave is, was filled with cement. Do you yeah. touch on that at all? I I well, I tried to give enough so that they could see what's happening, and that's why I do try to make it clear. John knew what he was doing when he went in there. He was he was not just some guy that had jumped in a cave and thought mm-hmm. he'd have fun. He he was he was experienced and he's a he's a Utah kid. This was his thing. He's from southern Utah, so he knew how wild it can get here. And and so he yeah, it, what surprised me is cuz we we shot at the actual cave opening. So all the rescuer scenes and everything, it actually intercuts with the news footage really well. My art director, they they were incredible how they matched scenes. Like I was I was really impressed cuz I thought, man, there's not a lot here and then I'd see the news footage I'm like, you nailed it. All right, hey, good. I feel, yeah, but uh, thanks. You're making me look great. Yeah, you, you made me look really good. You know, <laughs> this is great. Thanks for you doing all eight jobs that we'd normally give to other people. But uh, he, uh, but and I, we, we were out scouting the cave one day, <clears throat> just walking around it, checking out how we shoot it. It was me, uh, my brother, who was on the crew, and and another guy. Oh, one of the guys that knew where it was because we got lost trying to find it once. And and all these people pulled up in four wheelers and. 
they're looking at the cave. There's that guy. That, 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 and they started complaining about, man, it's stupid. It's closed. I'm like, do you guys know the story? And they started telling me things where there were so many incorrect things. I was just like, okay, this, if anything, this could help with that too. Because it, it, it was different than what they see. And if you have, because one of the rescuers, he was mapping that cave. He knew that cave better than anybody. And if he is one of them agreeing with shutting it down, then it's something. If you just go, as a matter of fact, if you go online and just look up Nutty Putty Cave, mm-hmm. you'll find a map of the of the cave, yeah. and it's kind of fascinating just to look at that. It's like a floor plan mm-hmm. of, the, of the cave that somebody did a long time ago. Yeah, it was a loved cave, and it was, it was an easy access. You know, it's ironic that, and I hope I get the dates right, but it had been shut down for about a year because of someone being stuck in there, yeah. and they thought they'd lose them. It's open for a month, and then John Jones happens. Yeah. So it's it, it was dangerous, and people don't want to believe that. But you look, you talk to any of the rescuers that had been there multiple times. Yeah. And for they, other people, yeah. They knew it was bound to happen. They thought maybe the gate that was mm-hmm. put in there would help it, but yeah. You know, if experienced people could get stuck in there, then anybody could. Yeah. So it makes sense. It's the last descent. Mm-hmm. You're going to leave here and go back down to Orm and work on some final stuff. Yeah. Now, how? Uh, what kind of distribution is the movie going to have? And uh, uh, mm-hmm. you're, I, I know you worked on a limited budget. You had some investors, and yeah, yeah. The I I spent a long time building relationships and and trust to be able to invest. And, it, and taking a lower budget felt like a good idea, so that I could focus on the audience rather than trying to get a ton of money back for an investor. I wanted the experience and. The actors we got, we nailed it because they are they're incredible. They pull the roles off right, but but it's a uh, so it's going to be at the Larry H. Miller theaters. All of those, okay. It's going to all of those. They're they're giving us good screens for it. It's really surprising, honestly, because we we got distribution with Excel before we'd even really finished starting pre production, and which is rare. Usually, you make the movie and then beg to get in the theater. Yeah, and the story resonated like that, and so it kind of makes sense that as soon as we got done, that. Uh, you know, a te- the first teaser comes out with just that piano section, and that that's something to help my crew know what I was trying to do. I, I just came up with that song, wrote it down real fast, and then cut that together one night during shooting so they could see the visual angle I was trying to take on this movie mm-hmm. to give it a very artistic feel and a very just a good feel. I want people to feel good when it's mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. And, and like, as soon as that hit is when suddenly everyone remembers, and it shows really Utah's kind of a, an interesting community. We're, we're kind of a family in a weird way. Like, I always call Pleasant Grove. Those were my people, you know. And then I go to UVU, and those were my people. Like, most of my crew is UVU, you know. And then, and now, you know, here's a statewide movie, and it's fun to see just these people that, yeah, this is my home. This is Utah. You know, I love it here. I'm never going anywhere. And, and like, it's fun to do that. Uh, the movie will, you, you, you have a definite opening day. Yeah, 16th of September. 16th of September. Yeah, very, me, yep. very soon now, and... Uh, It'll open in the Larry Miller theaters here. That you know for sure. Yep. And then from there, it could go. Yeah. Don't know. Like we've been getting calls from all over, and of course I don't answer them because I never answer my phone. But uh, they, yeah, it's the interest has been surprising. Like even I was talking to distribution about it. They were just they're just like, wow, it's way. You know, usually we have to kind of beg people to like talk about our movie, and it's like, well, look at the story. We all know this story. Yeah, and the uh, and the, the trailer, story, the, story. the trailer is so good. Yeah, that, I mean, that trailer. was the whole. I mean, we saw that like three days ago. Mm-hmm. You and I saw that trailer. You called me over, which you never do, because <laughs> you don't like to talk to me or anything. <laughs> but you, you're like, you got to see this. Let's find this director. 
Like, mm-hmm. it's such a good trailer. Yeah, it's oh, excellent. Thanks, uh, the, you've re- and then I, re- I read and looked at a little bit of how you recreated the, yeah. the cave with just kind of these fake... I mean, it's fake, yeah. but it's not, you're, it, he's not in a real cave at yeah. all. But, but it looks like he's in a damn cave. You know, it's funny. There's this... Like, when we were looking to build that cave, that our art director that designed it did such a good job painting it. I, I, it was unbelievable. There's a company in Orem that came out of North. They're a block from my house, and they make stuff out of styrofoam. And... And then they pat it and everything. I'm like, what do you guys do? Who wants styrofoam? And they're like, oh, well, we do everything for Vegas. I'm like, and you're right here? And so, obviously, a Utah movie, the guys were more than willing to help out with this. And yeah. they, they dug, they took these huge blocks of styrofoam, cut the whole cave out. Made a cave, yeah. And then, you know, hardened it up so it wouldn't sound like styrofoam and then painted it. And it's, we shot, we shot in two other caves in Utah that were... We had to get in with the grottos. It was, you had to get in with the caving community. That's, which is yeah, a, there's a, what's called the Utah Grotto. Mm-hmm. Or the, yeah. they're, they're great people, but the they, they don't let you in unless you prove you're actually interested in caves. And, what, other cave, what real caves did you shoot in? Um, there's one cave. It's kind of in between there. It's another kind of a geyser cave. It's in between Nephi, and I don't even know the real name of the cave mm-hmm. because they they actually have a lot of caves because of situations like those that they don't map. Want to keep it, and they also want to keep it kind of quiet. Yeah, so the state knows about it, and the and uh, the the grottos know about it, but they manage it and keep an eye on it because if like what happened to Nutty Putty is it used to be hidden, and then word got out, and next thing you know it was getting five thousand people running through it like a year, I think, or so. It was a ridiculous amount of people, mm-hmm. and the cave was getting beat up. Yeah, and so they try to keep it low. Yeah. Utah's caves wise is amazing, and one of the like one of the guys really wanted to see how into this I was, and he mm-hmm. took me into a cave that goes five miles underground and has five under underground lakes. Where the hell is that? It's clear up. It's up by uh, Roosevelt area, huh. and like the opening of the cave, you feel like you could fly a plane into, but if you're not looking for it, you'll miss it. It was wild. I. Mm. And I sat there going, like, I'm a Utah guy. And I'm just like, man, my state is way cooler than I thought. You know, it's just like, and, you know, I'm always trying to bring Hollywood to Utah. So it's another thing for me to show off. I'm like, we got dunes, we got city, you know, it's just, you know, we got everything. So, yeah. Uh, well, I hope that this, uh, and I think, you know, people will remember the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's why you're getting some national interest, too, because the story got national oh, yeah. news yeah. coverage. And uh, people, oh, that rings a bell, Nutty Putty Cave. They'll go back and look and. Yeah. Look at some of the news. and Well, it's, it's actually funny. I was Because I've been in talking with uh, people in L.A. about some future things. And one guy, he's, he, he comes from the Brad Pitt's company out there. And he was, when we were talking to him about it, he's like, yeah, I know that story. And I was like, you do? <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, I just remember it. And it was really wild because at first they'll go, I remember it. Then they go, I'd never want to see that. Mm-hmm. And then they go, well, maybe I do. Because... And, and I try to tell him, like, I would never make something that makes you feel bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to make something like a, well, I love Forrest Gump, but a movie where, like, kind of like that, where you, you're so, you're sad, mm-hmm. and you, you're not necessarily going to go home one night and say, what do I want to watch tonight? Oh, I'll watch Forrest Gump. Yeah, yeah I'll do that. You no, know, you don't do that. You yeah. know, but you'll never say you don't like the movie, mm-hmm. you know? And so yeah. I want something where people get a feeling at the end of it that they don't mind feeling again. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of what it was. And, and I talked to him about it. I've talked to everybody about it. And. If it works, then you know maybe it'll play more. If not, I'm I'm really excited to just be part of the popcorn and coke and bunch <laughs> of crunch. I've dreamed of this since I was a kid. Well, you're, it's about to come true. I know. It's <laughs> I had to write it, I had to direct it, I had to edit it, I had to write a little music on it, I had to sound design, but you know it's worth it. I, I would never change a thing that happened on this. And and you know you, you have people that laugh at you when they look at your budget. You have people that push you away. 
But then you have the people that come with you. And you can never get mad at the people who said no because you're asking for something ridiculous. But the people that do come along for the ride, I'm, you fight for them for the rest of your life. Uh, thanks for talking with us about this. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'm sure you can get a job at KPGR <laughs> Radio, the hat you're wearing. Just take over the high school. Yeah, yeah. You, can just, you, you can just go back to there and be a DJ yeah. at KPGR. Be the Pleasant Grove Tongan again. Yeah. I, re- I really like that hat. That's pretty good. Pretty it's cool. one of the originals. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, uh, it's called The Last Descent. It opens at the Larry Miller Theaters, for sure, mm-hmm. on the 9th. The director, Isaac Halisima. Mm-hmm. Halasima, I should go. say. Halasima. Yeah. Just treat it like the Spanish eye. Uh, and it's Deep Blue Films is his um, website. If you just look up Deep Blue Films, yeah. I'll bet Deep that'll Blue get Films. you rather than trying to remember how to spell Halasima. Yeah. Deep Blue Films, Inc. Deep Blue Films, Inc. Com. Yeah, that's true. That'll send you over. I forget about that. Or just look for a trailer mm-hmm. uh, for... The Last Descent. Yeah. If you see the little turtle on the Deep Blue Films, you know it's me. My, right. my daughter drew that. Oh, well. <laughs> so, yeah. Isaac, thanks a lot. Yeah. Best of luck. Uh, and By the way, you got a lot of the details right. I was reading some of the news accounts, and it talked mm. about the fact that uh, uh, he, when he got stuck or when he was in the cave, he was wearing a, an old headlamp mm-hmm. that they'd had in the family for years, and it had a rainbow Oh yeah, headband, and I noticed that he was wearing that in the. You know when we trailer. when I because I saw the pictures from inside the cave, and when my art guy pulled that thing out, I it, I, it floored me. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. It was the identical thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know where he found it. Yeah, yeah. He, first cool. he yeah. The last ascent, the story of the Nutty Putty Cave, and um, yeah, really good luck, and we'll we'll um, uh, we'll come to the premiere. All right. Love to have you. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot. That's it for this edition of the Let's Go Eat Show. Thanks to the people at 50 West Club and Cafe for uh, uh, joining us here. Thanks to Dylan Allred for producing. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm Bill Allred. And remember, when you're pouring the drinks, always make mine a double. <laughs>